Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. This is episode 81. Today I'll be talking about the murder of Janine Sutphin. My sources for today's episode are Grave Secrets, Season 1, Episode 10, titled What My Mother Knew, The Cinemaholic, WRAL.com, NBCNews.com, CRN.com, and WECT.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. We see things that a lot of people don't want to see. This is what the fishermen had discovered that they believed was suspicious. picture before it was removed it's just a big tarp but you can see chains and such around it and when we got it closer you can see it was it was multiple layers of tarps if you will and it was chains wrapped around it it was cinder blocks tied to it the Sutfins were from a very musical family Chaz played the trumpet and Janine played the cello and was part of the Durham Symphony Orchestra Together, Chaz and Janine had three sons, Christopher, Darren, and Robin. The kids loved to watch her play in the orchestra, and she was creative and passionate about music. Craig, this is Rob. If you get this, could you call me? I'm trying to find out if you've heard from Janine. She never came home from symphony, and then I found out she never got to symphony. I'm going to call the police, I guess. I, I don't know what's going on. Terry Michaels with the Durham, North Carolina Police received a phone call about a missing person on January 22, 2003. Rob Petrick, Janine's husband, called the Durham Police. Janine had gone missing. He said Janine had gone to cello practice and never came home. Hours later, Janine's vehicle was found at the symphony parking lot. Everything in or around the car seemed normal. There was nothing unusual in the trunk either, and there was no blood or a sign of a break-in. Janine's cello, worth thousands of dollars, was inside. The police spoke to the parking security and to several businesses around the area, but no one had seen Janine. The first theory was that maybe Janine had left on her own, but there was nothing to suggest that Janine had left the parking garage or left on her own. They couldn't even determine if she was actually there at the time. Detective Michaels interviewed Rob. Rob said he and Janine had a very good relationship, and he said they never spent a night apart since they got married. The police did ask Rob if Janine had any issues with mental health, depression, etc., and Rob said she did have depression. He said it was on and off, but seemed to have gotten worse. He said for the last week, she refused to leave the house or answer the phone, even when her sons from a previous marriage called, and he even mentioned that she might have been talking about suicide. The police also spoke to Janine's closest friends, and they all said it had been about a week since anyone had heard from her. The police contacted Janine's sons to tell them that their mom was missing. I was awoken by the phone call, and I kind of was just shell-shocked. I mean, just kind of, like, pieced together pieces of the puzzle that just, you have no clue what you're trying to make an image out of. I put the phone down, and I quickly just have this realization that the worst is really playing out, right? Janine's first husband, Chaz, passed away in 1995, 
She became very lonely and would talk about that with her sons. Through mutual friends, Janine met Rob in 1999. Janine's sons had moved away when she met him, and Janine and Rob got married in 2001. They seemed to be a perfect couple, and Rob's sense of humor was what really drew her in. Detective Michaels spoke to Janine's sons. They all lived out of state, so weren't around their mom as much, but they did talk to her all the time. They did reveal that she had been hard to reach over the last few weeks. All the calls went to voicemail, but Rob would call them and say she wasn't feeling well. Rob said she was just depressed and went on, and this went on for about a week. Christopher said Janine had been through a lot, but she was optimistic. He said it seemed odd that she just became a different person, and it wasn't like her to not talk to them. The location of Janine's car was also odd to them. Janine had told her sons that that end of the parking garage wasn't lit, and she feared for the safety of anyone that parked there at night. There was a parking deck that was across the street from the symphony that was lit up, and that was actually where she would park all the time. The results from the testing from Janine's car came back. The distance of the driver's seat to the pedals was measured, and Janine was very short, and the driver's seat was pushed further back. The police began to believe that Janine had been killed, and they knew she wouldn't leave her sons and her music career either. The police looked into whether Janine was having a relationship with anyone else, but they didn't find any evidence of that. Janine was loyal, sweet, and kind. The police looked into Janine and Rob's financial matters. Rob said they didn't have any financial issues. Rob worked with computers, and Janine had started a new job recently. The police spoke to the bank and learned that Janine's bank accounts had been depleted. She had also maxed out several credit cards and was almost flat broke. Janine's son Christopher was told about that discovery, and Christopher said that his mom had asked him once about bills. Mom had asked me about mail gone missing. If I had uh, taken any credit card bills, any receipts, she had been missing payments on credit cards, but simply because she wasn't getting the bills in the mail. And I had no idea what was going on. It turns out that Rob was waiting outside every day waiting for the mail. Rob was collecting the past due notices before Janine could find them. A search warrant was obtained for Rob and Janine's house. Rob had purchased a lot of computers and equipment. He had a very elaborate system with several computers hooked together. And while the police were searching, Rob stayed in arm's reach of the police while they were there. The whole time, he stayed within arm's reach of me. He stayed so close to me, I felt very uncomfortable. Detective Michaels asked Rob to wait outside or to give him some space, but he never did. When Rob did eventually leave, the police found a lot of checks that he had written. He had been running a counterfeiting operation. It showed a motive, but not where Janine was. Detective Michaels also found secretive files on Rob's computer, and he kept files from every hour of every day. He also lied about every aspect of his life. Rob had been researching multiple ways to kill someone. He had Google searched how to kill someone with your bare hands, how to deal with rigor mortis, and there were also searches for how to bury someone at the bottom of a lake and keeping them there. There were also a lot of topographical maps of lakes, and Rob wasn't a fisherman and wouldn't have needed to go to the lake. Detective Michaels confronted Rob, and he said they both knew what had happened to Janine. Rob said he wasn't a murderer, but there was no proof that he did anything to Janine. The DA wouldn't indict him on his computer searches alone. Detective Michaels knew in his heart that Rob had killed Janine, and Detective Michaels told her sons that Janine was probably deceased. Rob Petrick was charged with check fraud, and he was put in jail, but eventually made bail. Excuse me. Do you have anything to say? I'm not just going to take it. How does it feel to be free? It's 
feels fun. Detective Michaels just had a gut feeling that Rob was guilty, so the police decided to release the information about, to the media about Janine's disappearance and about Rob being charged with fraud. They also released his picture. And a woman in Georgia named Anne recognized Rob. She called the police. She said she was Rob's fiance. And she said she and Rob had known each other since high school and they rekindled years later. He told her that he was single and wanted to reconnect with her. And he flew back and forth to Atlanta using Janine's money. She had hoped that they would get married. It turns out that Rob had been engaged to Anne because she and her family were very wealthy. The police also received multiple calls about Rob's other financial victims. Several women called and revealed that they had dated them, only to find out that he had drained their bank accounts. They would eventually find out through their accounts, and then Rob would leave, and he'd usually have his next victim in mind. Rob would usually target women with low self-esteem, but Janine wasn't that way. My mom would be the first one to have you thrown in jail. She was never going to back down from a fight. I believe she found out about some of the fraud. I believe she found out about the other women. And I believe she found out about Rob's lies and how deep they were going. Four months after Janine went missing, some fishermen discovered something in the water and they said it was what they believed to be human remains. A search and rescue team found a large tarp. There were actually multiple layers of tarps with chains wrapped around them and cinder blocks to weigh it down. Rob had taken Janine out there and dropped her off a bridge. Janine's remains were rushed to the medical examiner, and through dental records, it was confirmed to be her. Rob was arrested and charged with murder. On November 29, 2005, Rob was convicted and sentenced to life without parole. The extent and depth of Rob's lies inevitably had to come crashing down. I mean, you, you can't live that many multiple lives without them somehow come crashing into each other. It's believed that Rob conned women for 20 plus years. And Rob is nothing more than a con artist. I believe he probably did this to quite a few other women who are probably scared to come forward, but they have nothing to be scared or embarrassed about. And they should know that Rob will never get out of prison again. Rob is such a low life and Janine seemed like a genuine caring mother in person. And it's heartbreaking that her three sons lost her because she confronted the man she thought loved her. My book recommendation for this week is The Soulmate by Sally Hepworth. There's a cottage on a cliff, Gabe and Pippa's dream home in a sleepy coastal town, but their perfect house hides something sinister. The tall cliffs have, be have become a popular spot for people to end their lives. Night after night, Gabe comes to their rescue, literally talking them off the ledge until he doesn't. When Pippa discovers Gabe knew the victim, the questions spiral. Did the victim jump? Was she pushed? And would Gabe, the love of Pippa's life, her soulmate, lie? As the perfect facade of their marriage begins to crack, the deepest and darkest secrets begin to unravel. This book is exciting right off the bat and tells the story by going back and forth from the past and present, which I enjoy. When Gabe and Pippa aren't the while Gabe and Pippa aren't the best couple, you can tell that they are willing to do anything to make their relationship work. But Pippa soon realizes that she doesn't know Gabe as well as she thought. I give this book a 9 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode, and as always, I'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, buy me a coffee, email me, leave me a five-star rating and review, and I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Somewhere.